Good evening. I am most thrilled you've returned for the next installment of my program. Tonight, I'll be taking you back yet again to the 1840s, where you will hear a tale most grisly. A story of murder, deceit, and treachery. You most certainly remember my voice, that of the toaster. I should perhaps shed some more light on who I am for you. I am the man who, each year, anonymously leaves some roses, a bottle of cognac, and a note on the grave of our departed friend, Edgar Allan Poe. Ms. Smith, the mesmerist, describes raising the dead as being a damning and dangerous thing. It was she who experienced firsthand what could happen should someone try to play God. I am, most unfortunately, a product of such experimentation. We will leave it at that for now. Let us get on with the show. Our friend, Mr. Poe, was once told something so spectacular that even he almost could not believe what happened. The story of the man who put his wife between a rock and a hard place. Madness, for what it's worth, also begins to fall upon his rival, Rufus Griswold. It is time that I take you back there now, to the darkness. Baltimore, Fells Point, 1849. Once more, I must warn you, this is not for the faint of heart. Proceed with caution. October 2nd, 1849. I finally read the story, The Black Cat. I was obstinate in my refusal to read it, as I could not believe Poe so frequently places himself in the positions of great storytelling without some kind of orchestration. What an insipid maniac he is! There is no way that what he tells is the truth. No man is so lucky to have experienced all that he experiences. How the people continue to believe him is unconscionable. He proselytizes upon the stand, preaches to the people what he saw, and they think he's telling the truth. What fools! By the time they realize it was all fiction, he'll be long gone. But what if he was telling the truth? Is it possible? Bartender, brandy, please. Leave the bottle. Long day, huh? Long day, indeed. Oh, you're a brandy man, too. I pride myself on my love for brandy. It is the only solace which I know. James Barron. Edgar Poe. 
Charmed. You're the writer, aren't you? I am. I I heard about your story with the uh, with the decaying man. Uh, what was it, uh, Monsieur Valdemar? Yes. What a tale. Tell me, was it true? Some call it a hoax. But do you? I'm not sure. Well, it's a great story either way. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. If I might be so bold, I do have a story myself that you will scarcely believe. It's one that will most certainly send me to the gallows one day. Is that so? It is. It's about a black cat. A black cat? Yes. Just a plain old black house cat. Indulge me, if you please. You ought to know that I was noted for my docility in youth. I had a very tender heart, so much so that my companions used to make jest of it. I was especially fond of animals, and was indulged by my parents with a great variety of pets. I spent most of my time with them, and was at my happiest when feeding and caressing them. As I grew older, tending to animals became a thing of pleasure for me. If you've ever cherished an affection for a faithful and sagacious dog, I need hardly be at the trouble of explaining the nature or the intensity in the gratification of it. There's something in the unselfish and self-sacrificing love of a brute, which goes directly to the heart of anyone who has been let down by the paltry friendships of mere men. I agree. I used to have a dog myself. Loved the thing dearly. Now, I married when I was a young man, and I found early on that my new wife shared a similar disposition for keeping pets. We had everything, Mr. Poe. Dogs, birds, fish, even a monkey. We also had this cat conscientious to its very core, pitch black in color. My wife, never one to be superstitious, still makes jokes about the old legend about black cats. They're all witches in disguise, after all. I'll drink to that precisely. Mr. Poe, you know your history. I read it once or twice. Anyway... She was never serious about it, but I'm only telling you now because it just happened to cross my mind at this point. Pluto, uh, that, that was the cat's name, uh, was my favorite pet and playmate. He stayed by my side whenever I was home, and there were even times he would attempt to follow me into the streets. This friendship lasted for years until I eventually took to Brandy. At the beginning, it was only once or twice a week, then a few times a week, and now it's nearly daily that I enjoy a bottle of it. As my drinking continued to escalate, so too did my ill temperament. I began using violent words, and on occasion took to violent action against my poor wife. 
I'm ashamed to admit this, Mr. Poe. Truly. As the living situation became strained, the pets we kept no doubt experienced the change in atmosphere. Through it all, my disposition toward Pluto didn't change, however. Mr. Baron, before you continue, please tell me that you acknowledge the treachery associated with yourself and what you've described. I have, sir. I have not laid a finger upon her in some weeks. Saintly. Proceed. Uh, one night, after my usual haunts about town, I returned to find that Pluto had not greeted me like he usually does. He remained sitting upon a chair. This angered me, and so I grabbed the cat quite forcibly. Pluto, in his surprise at this sudden manhandling, bit my hand. At the sight of blood coming from Pluto's puncture, I was suddenly furious. Taken by a demon, Poe. I wrung the cat by the neck and used my pocket knife to pull out one of its eyes. I'm going to stop you, sir. I don't know if I can listen to this story further. I am a writer, Mr. Baron, not a priest. I do not wish for you to unburden your sins upon me. Please, Mr. Poe. I, I fear I haven't gotten much time. Haven't got much time for what? I am most surely a dead man walking. My story must be told to someone who can adequately tell it. And from what I know of you, you are the man to do it. I don't know. James, I, I really must be there, on my way. There, you said it. James. See? We're friends. Please, sir. Please. Edgar. Fine. Continue on, then. Thank you. I promise the story is worth your while. The next day, I woke up and realized what I had done. I was horrified and regretful. But I felt my spirit had not been corrupted by this act. And so I continued to drink. Only this time, I drank to forget my heinous act. And the cat, he healed up just fine. He didn't appear to be in any pain after a while, and continued about his usual activities with little change. He did, of course, flee in terror at the sight of me. Having so much of my soft heart left in me, I was disheartened by Pluto's change in behavior, although I understood it. It wasn't long, though, before the grief gave way to irritation, which gave way to a perverseness in spirit that I don't believe philosophy could even attempt to justify. It was perverse simply because it could be perverse. After some time allowing myself this violent way of thinking, it urged me toward violent action against my Pluto. One morning, in cool blood, I slipped a noose about its neck and hung it to the limb of a tree. Hung it with the tears streaming from my eyes and with the bitterest remorse at my heart. Hung it because I knew that it had loved me, because I felt it had given me no real reason of offense. Hung it because I knew that in so doing I was committing a sin, 
a deadly sin that would jeopardize my immortal soul and place it even beyond the reach of the infinite mercy of the most merciful and the most terrible God. Mr. Poe, please, share this next drink with me, for the memory of Pluto. I'm not sure if I'd like to continue this. I see where we are headed, I believe. Uh, believe me that when I say that I was ultimately given my due justice, Edgar. All right. On the night of the day when I killed Pluto, I was awoken from sleep by a, by a fire. My bedroom curtains were ablaze, and the house was quickly falling apart around us. My wife... A servant and myself made it out, fortunately, but in that fire, everything was destroyed. I suddenly became a very poor man. My wife and I were forced to spend the following nights in a cellar. The next morning, I visited the ruins. Everything had fallen except for one wall. The wall against which the headboard of my bed had once rested. There was a crowd standing around the wall, talking about it. I investigated and discovered that the wall was largely unaffected by the fire. In the center of the wall, this white wall, was the clear figure of a black cat with a noose around its neck. Now, there are likely logical reasons that the cat was there. When the fire first broke out, people had gathered in the garden where the cat hung. Someone could have thrown it into our room to awake us, and in the preceding fall of the house, the cat's carcass could have been crushed into the wall about my bed, which was still freshly plastered. It was this that I told myself for months to quell my nerves, but it was to no avail. That seems perhaps too strange to be coincidental. Do you believe in ghosts, my friend? Admittedly? I don't know. One night, I sat stinking drunk in a bar and noticed that perched atop a bottle of rum, or was it gin, sat a large cat, not unlike Pluto's likeness. The only difference in appearance this cat had was that his chest was white, whereas Pluto's was entirely black. His temperament was that of Pluto's as well. Before I heard him, anyway. The instant I showed the cat some attention, he latched onto me. I offered to buy the cat from the bartender, but he had never seen the beast before. Upon my exit from the pub, the cat followed me, and he continued to follow me all the way home that night. Upon returning home with the cat, my wife immediately took a liking to it. I'm not sure this is entirely damning to you, Mr. Baron. 
It seems you've been presented an opportunity to right the wrong you had committed. I thought so too. Unfortunately, my liking for this cat soon made way to dislike. This was just the reverse of what I'd hoped for, but I know not how or why it was. Its evident fondness for me rather disgusted and annoyed me. By slow degrees, these feelings of disgust and annoyance rose into the bitterness of hatred. I avoided the creature. A certain sense of shame and the remembrance of my former deed of cruelty prevented me from physically abusing it. I did not, for some weeks, strike or otherwise violently ill-use it, but gradually, very gradually, I came to look upon it with unutterable loathing, and to flee silently from its odious presence, as from the breath of a pestilence. What added, no doubt, to my hatred of the beast was the discovery on the morning after I brought it home that, like Pluto, it also had been deprived of one of its eyes. Like the raven. I beg your pardon? I, uh, do you believe in reincarnation? How's, how do you mean? Some philosophies believe that when one dies, they are reborn into a new body, sometimes with distinguishing features of the past life. Sometimes they're reborn into new species, or the same species. Given what I've just told you, I believe I might, Mr. Poe. I don't know how to better explain this. It seems almost unbelievable, but... But what? Mr. Poe, try me. I highly doubt I will disbelieve you. Very well. A friend of mine recently lost his wife, Lenore. Shortly thereafter, this lone raven began to haunt him, almost nightly. It's very strange, I know. That is peculiar. Peculiar indeed. Oh, but I believe it. Right. I'll, uh, I'll continue on. Uh, try as I might, I couldn't keep this cat away from me. The more I tried to distance myself, the closer it got. It became my unwanted shadow. Whenever I sat, it would crouch beneath my chair or spring upon my knees, cr covering me with its loathsome caresses. If I arose to walk, it would get between my feet and thus nearly throw me down, or, fastening its long and sharp claws in my dress, clamber in this manner to my breast. At such times, although I longed to destroy it with a blow, I withheld from so doing, partly by a memory of my former crime, but chiefly, let me confess it at once, by absolute dread of the beast. This dread was not exactly a dread of physical evil, and yet I am at a loss how otherwise to define it. I am almost ashamed to say, yes, even in this bar, I am almost ashamed to say that the terror and horror the animal filled me with had been brought on by one of the merest chimeras it would be possible to conceive. My wife had called my attention, more than once, to the character of the mark of white hair, which con constituted 
the sole visible difference between the strange beast and the one I had destroyed. This mark, this patch of white, had been originally very blurry. But ever so slowly, it became a distinct outline. It was now the representation of an object that I shudder to name. And for this, above all, I loathed and dreaded and would have rid myself of the monster had I dared. It was now, I almost laughed to say it, the image of a hideous, ghastly thing. Of the gallows! I'm sorry. The cat's white fur took on a new shape. Yes, yes! It went from white patch to white gallows. Can you believe it? If we're being perfectly honest, Mr. Baron, I cannot. It is getting a bit late. Perhaps I should be going. But please, it's true. True as I sit before you now. After that, I was indeed wretched beyond the wretchedness of mere humanity. And a brute beast, whose fellow I had contemptuously destroyed, a brute beast to work out for me, for me a man, fashioned in the image of the high god. So much of insufferable woe. Alas, neither by day nor by night knew I the blessing of rest any more. In the day the creature left me no moment alone, and at night I woke hourly from the worst nightmares to find the hot breath of the thing upon my face, and its vast weight an insufferable nightmare that I had no power to shake off, weighing internally upon my heart. Under all of these tormenting pressures, I believe that whatever is left of the good within me is succumbing. Evil thoughts are becoming my sole intimates, the darkest and most evil of thoughts. The moodiness of my usual temper turned to hatred of everything and everyone. My outbursts have become sudden, frequent, and uncontrollable. I abandon myself to them. But this, my uncomplaining wife, <laughs> my own wife, was the most usual and the most patient of sufferers. Mr. Poe, have a drink with me, if you please. Certainly, Mr. Baron. For now, Mr. Poe, I, I, I don't believe I can continue on with this story. I see. The remainder of this story is only known to me. If I tell you, well, then I'd probably have to kill you. <laughs> I jest, sir. But uh, if you come back to this very stool in two nights' time, I will happily share the remainder of this story. I'd very much like that, since we're this far in. I'm sure you would. Mr. Poe, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. You also, Mr. Baron. You have a lovely evening. And I hope that I will see you in two nights. Oh. By the way, uh, in telling you all this, I do expect you'll share my story. I will be here. Bottle ready for us to split. <laughs> for this story, we're going to need two bottles. What an interesting man.
Edgar! Ra! How are you, my friend? Enjoying your evening? Surely, as you are. Oh, I've had an excellent night. Listen, the ladies I spoke with tonight were talking about you. You! <laughs> Can you believe it? You're famous, my friend. In all the boyhood years we knew each other, I never would have thought you would be the writer of America. Wow. Rod, I must be going. Working on a new tale, eh? <laughs> I see the smoke coming from your ears, old friend. Yes, yes. Good night, Rod. A lovely night to you, too. Listener, you recognize my voice. Bear with me. I should tell you that, yes, when I say that I am all too familiar with the horror of the mid-19th century, it is because I lived it firsthand. How I got here today is a more complicated story, all in good time. For now, you must hear the end of this tragedy. Bartender? Two bottles of brandy, please. Thank you. Excuse me, Mr. Poe? Yes? Did you meet a man here a couple of nights ago by the name of James Barron? Who wants to know? My name is C. Auguste Pen. I work with the police. A lady working with police? Forward thinking, I know. What does the C stand for, Miss Dupin? Charlotte. Ah. Why are you inquiring about Mr. Barron? He's been arrested for the murder of his wife. I... I'm sorry? We had had suspicions for a couple of weeks now. What happened? He's told us everything. I'm not at liberty to share, though. Why do you want me, then? I'm not an accomplice. No. No, not at all. We just know that he's told you some things that we believe would shed some light on why he might have committed this atrocity. He might have, yes. But I won't speak with you unless you tell me what happened with him. Why? So you can publish the story one day? Obstruction of justice is a criminal offense, Mr. Poe. He did ask me to write his story. It wouldn't be much of one if it ends without conclusion. I have to admit, though, I was not sure if the man spoke truth of what he told me. There were some inconsistencies in his story. I believe it. May I have a drink? It sounds like James will not be coming to retrieve his bottle. So by all means. The story is nothing but horrific, Mr. Poe. Just a warning. I gathered as much. Please, tell me. As you likely know, due to the fire which destroyed their home, Mr. Barron and his wife were compelled to live in a small cellar until better situations could be found. Right. He claims to have been descending a staircase when a cat, perhaps you know the one, began to weave in and out of his feet, causing him to almost fall down. Well, this threw him into a rage and he grabbed an axe in order to kill the cat. As he swung the axe downward, his wife stopped him and begged him not to do such a thing. Still enraged, he swung the axe again, this time aiming and succeeding in burying the axe in her head. She was screaming, as I understand it, and the blow silenced and killed her instantly. Dear God. The story doesn't end there, Mr. Poe. 
Unfortunately, it's only the start. Upon the assassination, Mr. Baron set off to conceal the crime he had committed. I perhaps should tell you what happened in more detail. Mr. Baron, it's Inspector Dupin. Oh, uh, hello, Inspector. Uh, how can I help? I'm sorry to bother you again, but I was sent down to investigate the property one more time to ensure that we've not missed any clues on the whereabouts of your wife. Not a problem at all. I, I do wish that she's found safely. Uh, she left with nothing but the clothes on her back. She'd said she was... Going into town to purchase some clothes, I believe it was. I'll be quick, and I will not bother you further. Oh, please, take all the time you need. It's been, what, two weeks now, and still no sign of her? I'm afraid not. No person has come forward yet claiming to have seen her, not even in some of the other cities around us that she might have run off to. It's troubling, to say the least. I could not agree with you more. Uh, may I begin the search in the cellar? Oh, by all means. As we descended the stairs to the cellar, Mr. Poe, Baron seemed a bit off. There was suddenly a kind of nervous perkiness in his voice. It aroused some suspicion, but from what I could see of the cellar, it was entirely empty, save a few bags of grains and firewood. I must say, these walls are impeccably made. I don't even feel a bit of a draft through here. Not at all. These stones are airtight. Not a thing could budge them. I'm sorry. Baron had trapped his wife behind a cellar wall with the cat. I could scarcely believe it. On top of that, she had been in there for at least two weeks, so, as one might expect, she was horrifically decayed, barely recognizable. But, Mr. Poe, here's the strangest thing. The cat was still very much alive and well. Was it a black cat? With a white chest? I wouldn't say the whole chest was white, but yes. How would you say the chest was? Black, with white markings on it. Now that I think about it, the white on its chest sort of resembled the gallows. Kind of ironic, really, since that's where Baron is headed. He was right about Pluto haunting him. Pardon? Miss Dupin, I have a lot to share with you. But first, that scream which led you to the body. Was it the cat screaming? Or the corpse? In a logical view, it would have been the cat, since it was the only thing alive. However, the nature of that scream was too human to have been the cat. But I'll admit, Mr. Poe, I can't say for sure. On further research, I've realized that perhaps Poe was not telling a lie. A man did go to the gallows shortly before his story was published, but there was no mention made of a cat. Poe has to be fabricating that. I cannot prove it yet, but I will. Poe, I'm coming for you.
When the Black Cat murder first got out, critics immediately took to asserting that our friend had fabricated the whole thing. They argued that because of the inconsistencies in the narrative, Poe had lied about it all and was only publishing it for money. What do I think? I think the inconsistencies are what make it fact. James Barron had holes in his story, but you know as well as I do that memory hardly serves as a perfect testimony. You surely forget key elements in the stories you tell. Another thing, I stumbled into that same bar that night, the cold night where Poe met Baron. I even bumped into him on my way in. And the way the man looked at me, the way his eyes cast a certain darkness towards me, I could not mistake his glare as anything other than that of a man who had killed his wife in cold blood. So, the judgment? We know a man was hanged for the murder of his wife. We also know the man met Poe in a pub in Fells Point. And we know the police inspector who found the body relayed her story to Poe. It all seems quite plausible to me, but memory does serve to fail after all. Listener, tonight is a very important night for us. The day that I release this will be the 169th anniversary of our friend's death. 169 years ago today, I lost someone close to me. And I feel that it'd only be right to honor the man by allowing you to hear his last work, as it was discovered. The Lighthouse, as it's been titled, doesn't leave much for its readers. Admittedly, I don't think it's based on anything real. It might, in fact, be the only work of Poe that is wholly fictional. For now, I bid you adieu. But please, enjoy the story, and be sure to have a drink for the man who no doubt touched us all with a bit of madness on this night, the anniversary of his passing. I present to you now, The Lighthouse. January 1st, 1796. This day, my first on the lighthouse, I make this entry in my diary as agreed on with the Chret. As regularly as I can keep the journal, I will. But there is no telling what may happen to a man all alone as I am. I may get sick, or worse. So far well. The cutter had a narrow escape. But why dwell on that, since I am here all safe? My spirits are beginning to revive already at the mere thought of being, for once in my life at least, thoroughly alone. For, of course, Neptune, large as he is, is not to be taken into consideration as society. Would to heaven I had ever found in society one half as much faith as in this poor dog. In such case, I and society might never have parted, even for the year. What most surprises me is the difficulty the Hrit had in getting me the appointment, and I a noble of the realm. It could not be that the consistory had any doubt of my ability to manage the light. One man had attended it before now, 
and got on quite as well as the three that are usually put in. The duty is a mere nothing, and the printed instructions are as plain as possible. It never would have done to let Orndorff accompany me. I never should have made any way with my book as long as he was within reach of me with his intolerable gossip, not to mention that everlasting Meerschaum. Besides, I wish to be alone. It is strange that I never observed until this moment how dreary a sound that word has. Alone. I could half fancy there was some peculiarity in the echo of these cylindrical walls, but oh no, this is all nonsense. I do believe I am going to get nervous about my insulation. That will never do. I have not forgotten De Chret's prophecy. Now for a scramble to the lantern and a good look around to see what I can see. <laughs> to see what I can see indeed, not very much. The swell is subsiding a little, I think. But the cutter will have a rough passage home nevertheless. She will hardly get within sight of the Norland before noon tomorrow, and yet it can hardly be more than 190 or 200 miles. January 2nd. I have passed this day in a species of ecstasy that I find impossible to describe. My passion for solitude could scarcely have been more thoroughly gratified. I do not say satisfied, for I believe I should never be satiated with such delight as I have experienced today. The wind lulled about daybreak, and by afternoon the sea had gone down materially. Nothing to be seen with the telescope even, but ocean and sky, with an occasional gull. January 3rd. A dead calm, all day. Towards evening, the sea looked very much like glass. A few seaweeds came in sight, but besides them, absolutely nothing, all day. Not even the slightest speck of cloud. Occupied myself in exploring the lighthouse, it is a very lofty one, as I find to my cost when I have to ascend its interminable stairs. Not quite 160 feet, I should say, from the low water mark to the top of the lantern. From the bottom inside the shaft, however, the distance to the summit is 180 feet at least. Thus the floor is 20 feet below the surface of the sea, even at low tide. It seems to me that the hollow interior at the bottom should have been filled in with solid masonry, Undoubtedly, the whole would have been thus rendered more safe. But what am I thinking about? A structure such as this is safe enough under any circumstances. I should feel myself secure in it during the fiercest hurricane that ever raged. And yet, I have heard seamen say occasionally, with a wind at southwest, the sea has been known to run higher here than anywhere with the single exception of the western opening of the Straits of Magellan. No mere sea, though, could accomplish anything with this solid iron riveted wall, which, at fifty feet from high water mark, is four feet thick if one inch. The basis on which the structure rests seems to me to be chalk. 